last time. Uh, We just turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And we're going to read 10 verses. John 6 verse 53. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What, and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before, it is the Spirit that quickeneth, or bring to life. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. And tonight I'm going to be taking my title from verse 60, uh, a hard saying. I'm just going to pray. Lord, we thank you, Jesus that we can come into this place and feel your presence. Lord God, I know that you're here and that you want to minister tonight and you want to serve your people. And you want to bring, Lord God, meat to the table for us to feast upon. And I just pray, Lord, as your servant tonight, that you would anoint my lips, anoint my mind, oh God, that as I deliver that which you've laid on my heart, that it would be received. And Lord God, that it would be taken into our hearts and that it would bring forth fruit. In the name of Jesus, amen. So Jesus has, in this passage, just before this passage of scripture, he's uh, multiplied bread. He's fed the 5,000 men and women and children. He departs from the crowd into a mountain, and then he walks on water to his disciples, and then they find themselves in Capernaum in the synagogue. And Jesus, he has just finished speaking about the bread of life, as him being the bread of life, and trying to explain spiritual concepts to those around him by using physical objects, which is what he did all the time. You have to drink my blood and eat my flesh to receive eternal life. Well, what does that mean? Uh, So many times the disciples and those around about tried to uh, take in what Jesus said with carnal thinking. Jesus spoke revelations and, and deep things, but they weren't in tune with the Spirit to be able to understand what he was saying. All they're thinking is gross. That's cannibalism. We're going to eat your flesh and drink your blood. And the Old Testament says you're not meant to drink blood. So how can this be? What does this mean? And as usual, Jesus was not speaking about literal things. It had a deeper meaning. When God speaks to us, when we read his word, when we hear it preached, we must have our spiritual radar on and open to receive what he's trying to teach us. Not enough just to read it just as a story or as a history book or just to come in and go out of the presence of God and hear the word of God and not really try to understand what God's trying to say to us. God wants to speak 
And he wants to reveal deeper revelations to us. But like the disciples, we try to analyze with our carnal mind. So what did he mean when he said that to dwell in Christ is to eat his flesh and drink his blood? Galatians 2 and verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24 says, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. To live in Christ, to dwell in him, to be a follower of Jesus, is to be a partaker of everything that he was and is. When we come to Jesus Christ, we find ourselves at the foot of the cross for the first time and we look into the glorious grace of him that died for us and we see hope and a way of escape from our sin and from the lives we've been living and that's exactly what it should like look like all the time. But there's something deeper that happens, that must happen and continue to happen from that initial encounter with the cross. The initial experience of the cross is amazing and anyone in this room can stand and testify of when they first met the Lord and they came to the cross and it's gruesome but at the same time it's beautiful and you see the blood and you see it wash away your sins. It's, it's an amazing encounter. But our encounter with the cross is not a once-off experience. The Lord never intended us for us to go to the cross once, walk away and forget about it. It was to become a daily thing. Just like the verses we read in Luke 9. We are to take up our cross daily, daily, every day, and follow him. That means submission. That means surrender. That means dying. There were many people that day that followed Jesus to Capernaum. He had just fed them with physical bread, um, which, by the way, I don't believe was a coincidence. God always, the word of God is just so perfectly fit together. He feeds them with physical bread, and then he's talking about the bread of life at the end of the chapter. But Jesus knew how fickle the crowd was. They were more interested in the free bread than committed discipleship. Bread that doesn't cost anything is quickly received. If someone says, hey, yeah, I'll pay for you tonight, they're like, yeah, sure, no worries. But bread that costs, now that's a hard thing to take. And a life truly surrendered to the will of God will cost you everything. It will cost you everything. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are mine. No. Which are God's. We are not our own. And until we understand that, and realize that we are just dust, vessels made out of dirt, we will not truly be able to live the way the Lord wants us to live. The way the Lord wants us to live is by dying to self. It sounds like opposites. How can you live but die at the same time? It doesn't, fit, it doesn't sit right with humanity. It doesn't feel right because I'm in control of my life and I'm amazing and I want what I want and I'm going to do whatever pleases me. 
and we go on believing we're on our own and we're the ones reigning over our lives and our flesh doesn't like to be told to submit and to surrender to something greater than itself. It, it just, you just, when we don't die to flesh, when we let it reign in our lives, we tell God that we want a refund on the price that he paid. It's like we take the, the blood and, and everything that he did, his name, and we drag it through dirt. It makes what he did on the cross. When we sin, when we allow it to reign into, in our lives, it makes the cross null and void. There was no point. It, it just, there's no reason for it. And I know that each and every one of us here tonight at various times struggle to overcome the flesh. We struggle to live above sin and above flesh and above the desires of that flesh. Maybe I'm the only one, but... <laughs> but tonight I want to tell you something without a shadow of a doubt that you can overcome you can live victoriously. You can live above sin. You cannot, you can live above it. You can live above it. And way too often we allow the devil to speak lies into our minds. And we hear him say, oh, you failed again. Oh, you're never going to be able to overcome this. You're going to continue to fall on this same thing. You won't make it, so stop trying. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. Galatians 5 verse 16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. The Word of God does not change. And what God says is truth. So when verse 16 says, If you walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It means if you walk in the spirit, you won't do those things. You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Cain was told right in the beginning that sin lies at the door and it desires to have him, but he must learn to rule over it. And I don't believe God gives commands that are impossible. I don't believe that God instructs us and gives us standards that we are unable to. Sometimes it feels like we can't reach it. It does, but we don't live by feeling. We don't live by feelings. We live by the Spirit. And you know what? We'll never be perfect in this temporary life. We have to come to terms with that. We are flawed humanity, but we can live above sin. We can learn to rule over it and walk in the Spirit. But how? How do we do that? We're told, walk in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. How do we do that? How do we rule over the flesh and walk in the Spirit? And the answer really is simply death. It's just death. It truly is in dying to self, dying to the humanity that is this vessel, this, this body. And as I said before, it does not feel good. It doesn't make sense to the humanity in us. It's a hard saying to take. It's a hard thing to accept. Romans seven eighteen and 19 says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. No good thing. Thing at all there is nothing in it yes you know i mean food we like the taste of food that's a fleshly thing you know when it, there's there's things that are that are not bad in the flesh but when it's unrestrained and uncontrolled and not subdued that's when it becomes there's there's no good in it for to will is present with me but how to perform that which is good i find not for the good that i would do would i and you always going to get this wrong <laughs> i practiced it for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would, not that I do. 
And verse 23 says, but I see another law in my members, warring. It's not just kind of a little tug. It's warring. It's like fighting. And I don't like this against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. The flesh and the spirit are at enmity. They, they are, as far as the east is from the west, they're opposing. And they do not fit together and they do not work together at all. Verse 63 of John 6 that we read before is, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Unrestrained, uncontrolled, unsubmitted flesh will end up controlling you and destroying you. It will destroy what God did on Calvary in you. And we must learn to subdue the flesh and control it and to kill it. To kill it. We cannot live a life to full capacity that we were not created to live. If we live lives that are not the ones that God created for us, we cease to have a reason to exist. And a simple example of this is, I was trying to think of something, and um, all I could think of was, because I've been playing basketball a lot lately, was a basketball trying to be a soccer ball. Basketballs are designed to bounce around a court, not kicked around a soccer field. They're heavier than soccer balls, and they are harder. And if the basketball refuses to be used as a basketball and instead tries to be a soccer ball, it will end up hurting the person that tries to kick it because it's harder and it hurts when you kick it. And it will hurt others because they can't receive the ball either because it is hard. It can't go the distance because it wasn't designed to be kicked around a field. And one of its greatest assets is that it can bounce. That's how you can move around the court and dodge other people and get the ball away from other people. You can move it quickly and you get to the ring and get a goal without other people getting the ball off you. If you don't bounce it, you're wasting its potential. If we live a life that is not truly submitted to the will of God, and I mean completely and utterly abandoned to him, we will end up hurting ourselves, destroying ourselves, and unfortunately also hurting one another. We won't be able to go the distance that God desires us to go, and we won't reach the potential heights that God designed us to reach. Our pastor spoke this morning about how we allow things to enter our lives and we become heavy with burdens that we were never ever created to carry we were never designed to carry the burden of sin matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 says come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn of me for i am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your souls for my yoke is easy easy it's easy and my burden is light but the burdens we carry around are not light. We walk around tired and weary and we're encumbered and weighed down and unable to do that which God has called us to do. Second Timothy 2 speaks of a soldier at war who does not entangle himself with the affairs of life. He doesn't get caught up in the things that are happening around and, and getting pulled to and fro. He's got a battle to fight. He's at war. He's too busy fighting the war to be worried about the cares of this life. We want to turn to John chapter 12 John chapter 12 John chapter 12 and we're going to read 24 and 25 verily verily I say unto you except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die it abideth alone but if it die 
it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. And uh, I did some research on this verse about seeds and dying, because all of you know I love gardening, so I was like, well, I'll have a look. Um, and one commentary actually says that a corn of wheat is almost the only seed that, like, when it goes into the ground, it, it's corrupted, and then um, what's called putrefying, putrefies, within three days of being buried in the ground, and then it shoots up and grows and from this rotted seed. And I thought it was very interesting that it says it's three days. Three days. It's just... When I read this, I was like, man, God really does put everything together so perfectly. He really is in control of everything. The little things, a corn of wheat, a seed. And it just matches up with, and and it's a parallel of Jesus being in the the grave for three days and then rising and, and growing and becoming this amazing. It's just blows my mind. And something else that I read about, um, this passage of scripture and the seeds really stuck out for me. And so when a plant begins to grow, can you dig it up and find the seed? I'm currently growing vegetables in my garden. And uh, I can see little shoots popping up now. I'm pretty excited about it. And if you want to, I can tell you all about it. Uh, but if I dig up those shoots and try, you know, to find the, the end... I'm not going to find a little tomato seed or a tiny little potato seed or whatever. You know, the seed has essentially died to itself. It ceases to be a seed in order so that the plant can live. It no longer finds its identity in that of its old self, a seed. And in this way, it has died. It has ceased to exist as its original self. And I believe this is what the word of God is saying, that to grow and bear fruit, to become the people that God desires us to be, we have to give over the seed. We have to die to ourselves so that the potential life, because there is life in that seed, it's just waiting to come out. But if it wants to refuse and just say, I'm going to say a seed, I mean, me, I'm going to get really mad because I'm not going to see things come out of my garden. <laughs> but the seed knows, that it, well, it doesn't, it doesn't have a brain, but it's designed to give itself over to life, to, to, to give itself over to something bigger and something greater. I've said it before and I'll probably say it again. Revival can only happen once something dies. We preach about it and we jump up and down about it and we get all excited when the prophetic comes and preachers come and they say, oh, I believe revival is coming to your city, but we forget what the word revival means. We forget that revival comes through dying. It comes through sacrifice. It comes from us saying, not my will, your will be done. Uh, A couple of months ago, I've got a lot of stuff in my notes about my garden um, this time, but a couple of months ago, uh, we're doing a bit of re-landscaping in the backyard and had a big pine tree and we cut it down. And so there's this massive root and we've been trying to want to get rid of it so it doesn't, well, so that it doesn't kill the grass that we're going to put there. And um, so we decided, oh, we'll, we'll put a fire around it and burn it out. It didn't work, but anyways. Um, and at the same time, we were cutting down trees and we had all this green waste kind of just sitting there. And because the tip's too expensive, we thought, well, hey, let's use it on the fire and we'll just build it up because I'd run out of, you know, wood to put on. So we'll just uh, chuck all this green waste on. And as you can imagine, green branches and fire don't really mix that well. And I already knew that, but I just wanted to get rid of the branches. I didn't want them sitting there. And all we did was smoke out the neighborhood. 
we actually had to stop. It was a bit scary because there was like, there's a valley near my house and it was just all hazy. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> and we nearly suffocated ourselves and my house just stunk for days. <laughs> the problem though wasn't with the fire. It wasn't with the fire. It was with the branches. It was what we put on the fire. And if we take ourselves and we do not die on the altar of sacrifice, all we will do is cause blurred vision for ourselves and for everyone else around us. We will suffocate the power of God in our lives and for him to work through us. He wants to do something through us. He wants to give us vision. He wants to give other people vision of him and how awesome he is and how great he is. But if all we're doing is smoking, we're not doing anything. We're not even burning out the root. It, it didn't do anything to the root at all. We took, we took it away and there was, it was still there. Nothing, nothing burned. Nothing that actually needed to be burnt. And yes, revival is coming. Yes, we want a baptism of the Holy Ghost. Yes, we want to see this church filled to overflowing. But it's going to take a dying in us. It's going to take us to die. It's, yes, those people out there, they're, they're dead spiritually and they need reviving. But we can't revive them unless we're revived first. If we're living the life that God created us to live. The fire is already here. The Holy Ghost is ready to just be poured out. And to set on fire those of us who have the right kind of timber on the altar. Turn to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Matthew 20 and verse 20. It's a bit of a long passage, but. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshipping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, what wilt thou, what, what, what do you want? And she said unto him, grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said unto him, oh yeah, sure, you're able and he said unto them, You shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the ten heard it, the other disciples, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know not that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And to give his life a ransom for many. Even though Christ had so often told them of sufferings and self-denial and dying to self, they still expected a temporal kingdom with worldly pomp and, and power and all this fancy stuff. Verse 22 says, you really don't know what you're asking for. You really don't know. When you say that you want to be where I am and you want the same power and you want to be so close to the Lord, you know, I want to be like this. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to take? Are you able to take that cup of death and self-denial? Are you able to suffer with me? 
And we can say that it was pretty forward of their mum to ask that for her sons. But we do exactly the same thing. We desire the prominence and the power of God and we get all excited about the power, but we don't want to go through the process to possess it. The anointing and the power of God, more often than not, comes through hardship and suffering and a place of self-denial. The way that Jesus obtained the glory and power and anointing was in that moment in the garden of Gethsemane when he was praying and he said, Lord, take this cup from me. I do not want this cup. You know, James and John, they were like, yeah, we're able, we'll take it. Even Jesus was struggling in his humanity that he couldn't take it. And, but yet he said, not my will. If you're not going to take the cup from me, not my will, your will be done. The, the flesh died in the garden so that the spirit could reign and be glorified in the resurrection. And God so desperately wants to use his people, this people, this church, each one of us, to reach a city of lost and dying people. And Jesus Christ is our ultimate example. Not my will, but the Father's be done. And when you get to that point, you can minister and you can serve rather than expect to be ministered to and served. It's at that point your life also becomes a ransom for many. And you can follow Jesus Christ. If you are dead to yourself, if you take that cup and you accept everything that is in that cup and take it on, you can minister and serve and you don't, you don't expect anything back because you just want to love people and you, because you become like Jesus and you become like him and you, you just want to love people like he loves people. But we're unable to be used for his purpose of saving these souls because we're bogged down in the flesh walking around, carrying the burdens that we were never meant to carry. And speaking of being bogged down, I've been reading Leviticus recently. And uh, I, I, normally when I read it, I'm like, oh, I just want to skip past this part because it's just talking about all these sacrifices and laws and legal stuff. And it's just really hard to take in. But this time I was like, Lord, I really want to understand something. You know, all of this is the word of God. So God can speak to me from Leviticus. And, uh, you know, there were just two things that stood out to me. And they're not deep revelations, but it was just one was God is holy. God is holy. And number two was the sacrifices that were to be given had to be the best, not half-hearted. And God is love. He is love. And he will continue to reach for us in our sinful state. And if you have never experienced the love of God, I encourage you to find his love tonight. And you can have that tonight. But we must also remember that he is holy and that he requires a level of dedication and consecration from his people, just like he did from the Israelites, just like he did in Leviticus and the things that they had to do. There were things they had to follow. There was things that they could not do and there were things that they should do. When Moses saw the burning bush, he turned to have a look and God said, don't come any further just yet. Take your shoes off. You stand on holy ground. And when we come into the presence of the Almighty God, we must remember that He is holy and cannot dwell with sin. He cannot do the work that He wants us to do in each of us, the healing that He wants to bring to our souls, unless we are surrendered completely to Him. And God calls out to us, Be holy, for I am holy. We cannot be holy unless we have died to the flesh. It's impossible. Because otherwise we try to do it in the flesh. And you cannot do spiritual things in the flesh. You cannot fight a spiritual war with fleshly weapons. You cannot, you cannot live a spiritual life in the flesh. 
it just we read before that the flesh and the spirit they don't work together they are contrary one to another it can't happen we come before god and we have to say god i'm nothing i am just this this flesh that i'm clothed in it brings nothing but hurt pain and destruction i can't do this on my own and that's when he can step in and that's when he can work and that's when he can heal and we have to bring our best We can't bring a part of ourselves. We can't just bring the bits that we find easy to give over to God. In Romans, it says that we have to bring our bodies, all of it, not just the parts that go, oh, well, yeah, I I can easily surrender that part. That really doesn't, it's not hard. That's not a sacrifice. (laughs) A sacrifice is hard. That's what sacrifice means. It's giving something that you don't want to give or that you, you really can't give, but you do anyway. We read Luke chapter 9 again, verse 23 and 24. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. And in the Old Testament, they were required to bring burnt offerings every day, not just for sin. It wasn't, you you didn't just come um, to the, to the tabernacle or to the temple um, when you sinned. Like the, the priest had to always, every day, there had to be a burnt offering. There had to be a sacrifice. They were to continually place an offering on the altar. And it really is as simple as coming before God every day, every day, every day, and offering up everything that we are, everything that we desire and giving it to him. And so then we can live above sin and we can rule over it as long as every day, every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the days when I'm feeling good and the days when I'm not feeling good, the days when I've had a good sleep the night before and I can get up at 5 a.m. and pray, and the days when I haven't had a good sleep and I struggle to get out of bed in the morning. Every day we have to find ourselves vessels made out of dust in the presence of a holy God and offering everything that we are to him. You know, when you're dead, you can't feel. So that's, we just got to get to the place where we can't, that we're dead. And then it doesn't matter whether we've had a bad day because we're not ruled by our feelings. Then it's like, okay, well, I know God is there and I want to meet him. And I know he wants to meet me and I know he wants to minister to me and I want to minister to him. And it doesn't matter that I'm feeling ill because I know, oh, he'll, he'll heal me because we're not living in the flesh. We're not living with feelings anymore. We're living in the spirit. And when I enter into that time of prayer each day with the Lord and I come as it were to the altar, this is just what I do. I don't know if it'll help anyone, but I just, I just start by verbalizing all the things that I am, all the thoughts that are distracting me, all the fleshly desires of my heart that turn me away from him. And I offer them up on the altar of sacrifice. I'm quite, you know, with my hands. So I do, I'm like, Lord, it's here. I place it on the altar, take it, use it, burn it away. I offer them to him and I empty myself, my mind of anything, anything that is contrary to who God is, anything that will put enmity between me and God and what he desires for me, any desire of the flesh goes on the altar. And I pray, God, here I am, a vessel, because now I've emptied myself. It's just take it, take it, burn it away. Now I'm just this empty clay pot, this vase. I'm not my own. We are not our own, just vessels in the hands of a holy, holy and powerful God. And then I just spend time allowing him to burn it away and to fill me with his spirit. 
because that's how we walk in the spirit. We've got to be filled with the spirit first to walk in the spirit. You can't walk in it if you're not filled with it. But if you're filled with all this fleshly stuff, God can't fill you. You have to, he's not just going to pour you out himself. It's got to be a choice thing. It's got to be my will. I don't want this anymore. I'm going to give it to him. I'm empty. He can fill me and then I can walk victorious. It really is that simple. It really is that simple. And some days I will say over and over, flesh, die. Spirit, live. Flesh, die. Spirit, live. Over and over again until I know that my flesh has died. And it becomes, it's not just a spiritual thing. It's a physical thing. I get really angry with myself. I'm like, no, you're going to die today. You are dying today. Until I know that the flesh has truly died that day, I will not get up. I will not walk away from that. I'd like to say that every day is like that. (laughs) And I go through this process. But if I'm honest, it isn't always like that. And I can tell you this, those days when I do not surrender, man, I struggle. I struggle with the flesh and it wars in me because I have not given it to God. I have not killed it. It's still alive. And so I'm walking around during the day trying to quote scripture and trying to sing praise songs and trying to feel after the spirit, but I can't because I'm filled with the flesh. I just want to read a story, a little, um, I don't know if it's a proverb or just as, you know, but you've probably heard it before, but I'm just going to read it anyways. A grandfather is talking with his grandson and he says, there are two wolves inside of us which are always at war with each other. It's just what Paul said. One of them is a good wolf, which represents things like kindness, bravery, and love. The other is a bad wolf, which represents things like greed, hatred, and fear. The grandson stops and thinks about it for a second. Then he looks up at his grandfather and he says, Grandfather, which one wins? The grandfather simply replies, the one you feed. Don't give occasion to the flesh. We have to starve it. We have to starve it. If we do not, it will take over. It, it will. It's, I 100% guarantee it. I can put money on the table and say that's, it's going to happen. The flesh is a funny thing. It just it resurrects itself every day every day and it doesn't matter how many times I die to it and I come before the Lord the next day I still got to do it again got to do it again and that's why it's a daily thing it's a daily dying to self it's a daily taking up the cross it's putting off the old man renewing the spirit putting on the new man put off the old man renewed in the spirit putting on the new man putting off the old man renewed in the spirit putting on the new man over and over and over and over again and it seems silly and it seems sometimes is it really that yeah it's really that simple it really is that simple every day coming before the lord and not leaving until i have died that's the that's where it is you can't just expect to go into prayer for 10 minutes and you know and go oh lord bless this day and you're going to be amazing and and just you know i hope it's a good one and walk away that's not dying to the flesh it's it's not enough really it's not If we turn to Exodus chapter 20. Moses has just received the Ten Commandments and the Lord's spoken with him so powerfully in such a real way. And the Israelites uh, see the thunder and the lightning and the power of God and they're like, whoa, back away, (laughs) getting away from this. And we pick it up in verse 19 of Exodus 20. And they said unto Moses... Speak thou with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, 
lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, fear not, for God is come to prove you and that his fear may be before your faces that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. Verse 20 says that God is come to prove you. He had come to see that now after they've been freed from Egyptian bondage, would they take and own God as their king and be subject to his laws and the things that he wanted from them? And would they abide in him and live the way he wanted them to live? And when it says that his fear may be before your faces, it's not a fear of death or damnation or condemnation, but a reverence of the divine majesty of God. But they said, no, Moses, don't let him come near us, lest we die. And I think maybe some of us just need to die. God wants to speak into our lives individually. He didn't want to just speak to Moses. He wants to dwell with his people. He wants to abide in us and for us to abide in him. He wants to heal and make whole those things in us that are broken. But that means coming to him with a fear and a reverence for who he is. And in this, truly understanding who we are. Because when we understand who we truly are, then we don't have to worry about the reverence. When you know that you're just a vessel and you're just this clay pot made out of dust, made by someone else, you, you can't come into the, the, the presence of a powerful God and be like, yeah, I'm all that. Because you understand I'm nothing. I really, I'm not my own. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 to 10 says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. It's not in the flesh. It's not in the flesh. It's got to be of God. Uh, Verse 17 and 18 says, Sorry, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. If I can just get a musician. We're so focused on the temporal, so focused on this life, and it's just a blip. It's like this tiny little pinprick in the the space of eternity. It is temporal as is this flesh. And if we can understand that and truly realize that we are just vessels, just vessels, empty vessels made for the king to use as he sees fit you know he's sovereign he's he's god and i god is love he is and don't get me wrong he he loves us and he is merciful and gracious but if you read in the old testament the things that happened to the people of god when they sinned there were consequences and they had they did they feared him they feared him in the wrong way they feared him oh my goodness he's going to kill us but God really, he, he could just wipe us all out. And so we have to remember that when we're living our lives, that we are living it in the presence of a holy God. And if he really wants to, he can just bring another flood and wipe us out again. But he's not going to do that because his mercy does endure and he promised he wouldn't bring another flood. To die to flesh... To be a partaker of the death and crucifixion of Jesus Christ is a hard thing. It is a hard saying, something that we struggle to accept and apply to our lives. 
And some of us walk away as many of his disciples did that day when he spoke to them about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. But just as Peter said, I have to say, Lord, to whom shall I go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, I want to get to heaven. And if I want to get to heaven, then the only way to do that is to be surrendered and submitted to his